Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 298. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki season two, episode six, Glorious Purpose, directed by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, written by Eric Martin. Loki was created for television by Michael Waldron, and it is a Kevin Feige production. Before our spoiler review begins, want to let you know once again about Fanshow Plus. That is the podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts via Apple Podcast subscriptions. You can find those episodes in the same feed on Apple Podcasts where you find these MCU Fanshow episodes and subscribe there where you can hear us talk about extra MCU news and also deliver first impressions when there's a brand new Marvel story. So my first impressions for Loki season two, episode six are available same goes with my first spoilery thoughts on the Marvels, and obviously our Marvels spoiler review on MCU Fan Show is coming soon, but you can hear some initial, an initial opening round of the Marvel spoiler thoughts via Fan Show Plus, and again, that's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you're keeping up with us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot. It really helps the show. So thank you so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am uh, very, very, very well, and I'm a little disappointed to hear about, you know, Loki's uh, viewership this season. And uh, but you know what? The cool thing about Loki this season is it, it it's there's a couple firsts, and I think uh, we mentioned it on the on X formerly Twitter the other day, where it, uh, I I watched the season finale the night of uh, Loki came out. And I texted you probably within like five minutes of finishing it or less than that. I think it's two, three minutes and I, of my reaction. And that's, that is not what we, usually that only happens for big stuff like the movies, like, you know, stuff we're anticipating. Like, I don't think we even did that for the season one uh, finale. I don't think we, t- I think we say, I think I, I waited. I, I want to say so anyway, I don't remember, but it doesn't happen very often. I usually like to save it for the show, but I couldn't help it. I had to like chime in immediately. Yeah, that's, that's kind of our thing is that I usually don't know going into a podcast how you felt about a given MCU movie or episode. So it is rare when you just can't help yourself and you can't play the little coy, vague games that you love to play uh, that I also love to play along with. And it's a lot of fun, but it's rare when it just that just can't happen because you're just so overwhelmed. And I I wasn't surprised, though, Paul, when I got your text because I had watched the episode a little bit before. And it's one of those stories where I I try as hard as I can to avoid recency bias. It's why I don't rank things immediately. Or, or anything like that, especially when it comes to Marvel stories and superhero stories and, and all of that stuff. So I, I really try to avoid that. But at the same time, there are those occasions where you are watching something or speaking for myself, I am watching something and I am keenly aware 
that I am watching something really special, that I am watching something where it is operating on another level, and therefore, as a viewer, I have been taken to another level. And that was certainly the experience that I had with Loki Season 2, Episode 6, the season finale that very much feels like or could serve as a series finale if it had to, or not even if it had to, if that's what it was designed to be. And I had that experience of just being keenly aware of uh, of what I was watching and, and how special it was and how I was being moved, you know, feeling that process of being moved and also being aware. I, I was just having this different uh, existential experience with the whole thing of, of watching this episode and just knew that it was there. And and honestly, I wasn't surprised by that because I, I definitely clocked it. Like when I went to the episode on Disney Plus, and I saw that the title of the episode was Glorious Purpose. It was just immediately a, oh, moment. And I knew we were in for it. I just knew it because it had to be. It's in the the show with all these time loops and cycling things back around. Like, of course, they they begin with the or they end with the same title that it all began with, with the title of the first episode also being Glorious Purpose um, and taking it back to Loki's famous line from The Avengers all of that was, I, I just knew that we were in for it, or at least knew that they were trying to do something really big with this episode, and it was just going to be a matter of uh, how much they succeeded. And frankly, Paul, I think this episode succeeds in just about every way that it, uh, every way that it possibly can, every way that it possibly could. And And I know, as you mentioned before, I mean, there's been articles about the viewership, although we're still early on with the Nielsen ratings because they're behind. And also, I, I don't know if those numbers really represent what Disney's experience. I mean, Disney shouted out that the season two premiere actually had one of the uh, one of their highest debuts in its first three days. And I think second highest debut of the year or one of the second one of the highest debuts they've had any, in any event. And then, of course, we've seen some articles that say maybe it's not doing as well. I do feel like people are ultimately going to catch up with the show. Maybe people are waiting to be able to binge all six episodes. We'll see what happens with that. But I do think people are going to catch up with it. And I think that people are going to see it because I think people are going to hear about it. There's certainly been a lot of buzz about this show. And it's well-deserved for all the praise that, of course, has been out there for this second season of Loki. And it all culminates in this outstanding season two finale, Paul, that I was I was absolutely blown away, blown away by. And again, not... Not surprised to uh, to get that text from you because I just I knew it was special. Didn't know how that would all manifest in terms of how we would interact with one another, but knew <laughs> uh, knew that it was going to highly likely to move you like it moved me, like it clearly moved a lot of people. Yeah, this is a very special episode, and you know it's it's Michael Jordan, right? Or not? Oh my god! Oh my god! What's his name? Michael Jordan. <laughs> Michael, Michael, yeah, Eric Jordan. Martin. <laughs> Eric Martin. Excuse me. Oh yeah. See. Oh my god. We've got. I mean, he uh, I, is now the like Michael Jordan of Marvel Studios on Disney Plus, really so he is that. There, there's a similarity in that name yeah, there, somewhere. There, oh, there's, God. A, there's a goat quality there <laughs> for sure. Oh, Albert and Landmine uh, <laughs> rears his ugly head again. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, I remember even saying it out loud when I watched it. I'm like, hey, Eric Martin, Eric Martin. Then I totally just, just lost it. Um, I should write more notes. Sorry, everyone. Uh, no, Eric Eric Martin, um, you know, having one writer for this series has been, 
I think there's a, is, there's a pro and a con to whatever. Yeah. You well, there hasn't been one writer for the series. He was the head writer, and there are other credited yeah, writers but, on, yeah. on other episodes. There was a, a writer's room for the show, so I don't want to say that it was all him. But obviously, he does have sole credit on a number of these season two episodes. Right, and right, right. As we've talked about before, Michael Waldron has the created for, and deservedly so, the created for television by credit for the series because he was the head writer for season one. But he did, he wasn't the writer on set for season one. He went to go work on Multiverse of Madness. And so Eric Martin took over. So he's been in that lead seat, even if he's not officially the head writer for season one. He was obviously a, a lead right there on set as a writer for the first season. And then, of course, took over head writer duties fully for the second season. And he has led this series to even greater heights. And, and I think that he's yeah. done just an outstanding job. And yeah, I remember you texting me that uh, they need to hire him or pay him immediately. And and my response was, I feel like they already have unless they offered him a bunch of money to go do whatever he wanted. And he said no, because he wants to do something else. That's the only reason I, I could see Eric Martin not continuing to have a big future in the MCU is if he doesn't really want one. He wants to go do something yeah. else. If he wants it, then he has certainly earned whatever opportunity he is seeking within the Marvel Cinematic Universe with his outstanding work on this series. Yeah. And what, I was gonna, what I'm trying to explain is that, you know, a writer like that, like that. Now I'm just is, laughing at the Michael Jordan thing. Cause I'm like, which, I ep know. which episode is his flu game? So, uh, uh, Ooh, Ooh, I like that. Um, no, I, I think what I'm, what I'm trying to explain is you have, he is like Michael Jordan. You're right. I like, this is, this is all working in my favor. Yeah. The thing with this, you knew it all along. It was I there knew it all along. It was there. Um, I, you could have someone like else write the finale. You know, you're, you could be afraid of, of finishing this. It definitely felt more focused of any series that I've seen. I think of Marvel in like, even cause I'm looking at all, even the ones I like, you know, WandaVision, you know, we'll, we'll get into the comparisons of that at some point, but I just want to say that WandaVision had a very, a very specific story to tell and it told it well. Loki season one, is similar, but it feels a little, it gets a little scattered. It gets, it, it's a little bit, not as um, contained as much as this season two as a whole mm -hmm. and the finale. And that's what I'm trying to explain is that there's a pro to con when you have like these, a bunch of writers and, you know, together, but you need to have a strong, like clear distinction and, you know, a leader to have figure that out. And it's, to me, it's evident that, Maybe I'm totally wrong here, but it feels like how focused this is has to be a very like either everyone agreed on the same page or someone's you know has a very distinct vision and they're just going down it and they're using their you know the room whatever the way they need to. It, either way, it feels like one distinct vision, and that is lacking in so many different like not just franchise things, any kind of TV series for that matter. This is not just a franchise tentpole, whatever you know. Uh, this TV series. This is a problem with any kind of you know TV show medium. Um, the thing is with Loki is that it has a lot of characters, but it manages to stay the course the entire time without having to de derail itself too much with like side quests or side stories. Everything is is very much, you know, you could say the, I, the, if you want to be like super nitpicky, you could say the series as a whole, like maybe treaded the same ground a, a little bit more than like maybe you could have like done a little bit more differently. Maybe again, I'm like nitpicking at that point. But at the same time, 
I we talked about previously, Sean, that this series built off the conversations that it wasn't retreading. Right. It always built off what was before. Yes, it retread a little bit, but always. Yeah, but that's just to like get you back into the conversation. But once you're in it, they advance it. Yeah. And so that's where I want to say that I think has been really so impressive for me is that this is not just a building of like lore. This was a building of character and themes that was just kept Absolutely. going on and on and on. And that is different than we've gotten. And like I said, any kind of show, much less Marvel. So it ha- it feels like a distinct vision to me when I think of the show as a whole. Because remember, you know, I just rewatched season one, you know, and, and I praised it. And I, I liked it a lot more, but I didn't like it as much the first time because it definitely felt disjointed at time. We, you know, we brought it up to Sean that epi- uh, season one, maybe it was better as a whole when you watch it together. Whereas like episodically, this felt a lot better to watch week to week to me. And it, it, I don't know, it's just that maybe I'm, I'll, I'll think differently if I rewatch it again when I, when I eventually rewatch it again. But it definitely feels because it builds off of the themes of each other instead of just like here's a plot we're going to move the plot forward it's moving the themes and the emotions are all there that's all going in conjunction with the plot which isn't always the case and i think here it's so lockstep and so much fun and you see the characters like literally trying not to grow and i think that to me like sylvie's character and loki who's like realizing it and trying to like literally grow the character with him and he can't do it. I, and, and you see that in this episode, it's brilliant. And I really got to say that I love the last season, last season's um, season, season finale. I think it was chef's kiss, but this one is it. I, I didn't think it could be topped. They topped it. Absolutely. And we'll get into it. But yeah, I thought it was, this is a masterpiece. Yeah. I think it's definitely, at that level can't uh, officially be certified as a Marvel masterpiece until, you know, a proper interval of time, which we'll explain more about what that means in upcoming episodes of the podcast. But uh, it certainly feels like it's on that level. As, as I said, it was apparent as I was watching it. And I think to your point, Paul, I do think, I mean, recency bias being a thing and I, and I said how I try to avoid ranking things, but I'll sidestep that for the sake of this conversation right now. And that, yeah, I my initial feeling that I reserve the right to change at, at any point, should I feel differently at, at another point in time later on. But I definitely feel my immediate feeling is that this season is even better than the first season. And this season of Loki feels like it's on par with WandaVision and, and maybe with time. I maybe might even ultimately feel like it's uh, it becomes the crowning jewel of Marvel Studios on on Disney Plus, which is a title that WandaVision currently holds. But it doesn't really matter which one is at the top, you know, which one is ahead of the other one in rankings because they're all meaningless anyway. Point being, the real point being that it's at that peak level of storytelling that I think supersedes it. We say it's amongst the best in the MCU, sure, but also it's just great storytelling, period. And, you know, regardless of the franchise, regardless of the genre, and I do think that this season, as uh, from an episodic standpoint, I do feel like the individual episodes of season one were stronger than the individual episodes, or I'm sorry, the individual episodes in season two were stronger than the individual episodes in season one, man, because there's not... Like, there's no miss here. Like, with most 
Marvel Studios Disney Plus shows, there's at least one episode that I could point to and say this was the one that wasn't quite as good. This was the one where you can just kind of tell it it just didn't come together like the others. Every single episode, all six episodes in this season were all outstanding. And they were outstanding as individual installments where this is all you get for the week and all we got was plenty for the week from an individual episode standpoint. And then collectively the way they all come together and the way this season and this season finale weaves everything around into from the first season and brings all of that together and and having the way it allows it all to culminate here is just something really outstanding, really special. And I, uh, I, I just salute and tip my cap to, I mean, Eric Martin, but everybody involved in this directors of this episode and several of the episodes this season, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, um, and then of course, everybody who was part of the the writing staff on this show, anybody who did anything to make this show look the and of course the cast, but anybody who did anything to make this show look the way that it did or just be what it was, um, they should feel very, very proud of the work that they put in because they really did achieve something remarkable with this entire season and specifically this episode that, yeah. I mean, we're only 17 minutes into the podcast. Why not get into it? So let's go ahead and let's let's, let's start it. here. So All right. we begin with a reverse Marvel Studios logo. It also sounded like the music was backwards. I don't know, but uh, it wasn't. I don't even know if it was the Marvel. If somebody knows backwards music better than me, feel free to correct me or yell at me on Instagram or Twitter or X or whatever. Um, yeah, the music, I don't know. It was almost like the Loki theme played backwards. I don't know. It kind of sounded funky, but I, I liked it. I love seeing the reverse of the Marvel Studios logo. And we go back to the moment that was teased at the end of episode five. We're back to that time to be brave. And we see it fail exactly the way that we remember back from episode four. And Loki is asking OB what could be done differently. And OB is just saying they were too slow. So Loki says again faster. And we just see this being looped over again and again to try and Loki trying to speed up the process as much as he can to get Victor Timely out there as soon as possible before the temporal radiation is too great to overcome. But it's not working, so Loki tries other things. Not faster earlier, he goes ahead and pulls Timely away from Miss Minutes and Renslayer. And when he explains all of that and talking, acknowledging Miss Minutes' feelings and trying to say where, what they have to do and how they need Miss Minutes' help, that was a really funny moment. But all of this, this initial round of just trying to move faster, Paul, I thought was it was really funny. It was entertaining. It really just got the episode, I mean, literally moving very quickly. The again faster line is really funny. That's definitely more of a, a, a meta type of line to have Loki say that because I don't know that there's any actor who's worked for any length of time on a set who hasn't heard from an assistant director or a director has not heard the phrase again faster for another take. Uh, so that definitely is uh, is part of it there with that line. So I thought that was funny. All this looping around, trying over and over and over again. Loki kind of interrupting things with conversations he's already had, finishing people's sentences or even just saying the entire sentence before they get a chance to get it out of their mouth. It was very reminiscent to me of another show that is deeply rooted in philosophy and has certain amount of things looping around at various points in the show. A favorite of mine called The Good Place. Highly recommend everybody check out that show if you haven't. Um, but all the other stuff that Loki is warning them about, not putting the multiplier down, which we'll find out more about that why uh, a little bit later on. But also uh, Tom Hiddleston just being so entertaining in this as he's just trying to get this thing moving as quickly as possible. 
Also, another note that I like just from a visual standpoint, most of the time, the replay of Timely turning into spaghetti is the same as what we saw in episode four. But the last time we see him turn into spaghetti where he's like holding his breath as he tries to uh, tries to survive. I just thought that looked funny. Uh, but this opening sequence, before we get to the you know reintroduction of Timely and OB, but just this initial round at the temporal loom, Paul, I thought was really great. Yeah, I know we're, we're going to get deeper and deeper into this here. Um, I, I love all this. I have more to say as we go, but yeah, this was... It, yeah, this isn't it, the meaty stuff. This is just the yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, I, I have more to say. This is great. Um, nothing really more to add other, other than that like, it's a good setup for what we're going to get because it's right now, you know... Because <clears throat> at this point, you know you're gonna he's going to fix it, but how is he going to fix it? And... It's 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 just kind of it's a, again the show has done a great job all season of kind of like setting this setting this up every episode kind of initially, and maybe that's the secret weapon of the show. We talked I've mentioned before they kind of lure you into like this false sense you know initially by with with the right off the bat with the show like knowing they if they if they do certain things and set up things certain way mm-hmm. it's gonna make us in a set up set us up for certain things down the road it's almost like a uh, 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 running, running on first down, uh, so you can do play action <laughs> the next time for you, uh, for, all, for all you football people, and for Sean and I, who are huge football fans. Um, anyway, you know what I'm saying. It, it, it feels that's kind of what one of the great things about about the show is that they're able to kind of set us up, and I think that's a, a this is a, another great example of that. Yeah. So basketball check, football check. We're doing very well in our sports ball talk oh, on this podcast. Hockey's coming. I promise. Hockey's <laughs> so, coming. I think. Well. A couple things in terms of setup, though, like, yes, this is it comes across as and it's tonally it's played. It's played a little bit light and fun because we're going to get into heavier stuff as the episode goes on. But I think we're still very we're not losing that sense as an audience of the urgency here and what Loki is trying to do. So while there's comedy in it, I don't think it's really undercutting the stakes of what's going on here. And it's we're still holding that space in our heads because we know where uh, where this episode is eventually going to take us. Not that we know exactly, but we know it's going to get heavier as the episode goes on. But I think it's a, a, a nice job of how do you show people the same scene over and over again? How do you revisit scenes that people have already have already seen, that your audience has already seen, what you've already showed them? And how do you continue to make it engaging? How do you continue to make it entertaining and different in its own way? Well, this is kind of a, a masterclass in, in how they do that. But also, in terms of setup... You are showing just how exhausting this process is for Loki to go through this again and again and again. And this is only the start of that process of him going through all these rounds of trying to save the temporal loom. And then when we do get to the scene where it's the introductions all over again, him saying the TVA handbook, you both wrote, you both wrote it. Isn't that amazing? As he introduces Timely and, and OB was great. Him knowing that how to speed up the conversation around the model. Got to throw out the compliments to OB that the model is perfect. It's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. And then uh, also overcoming Mobius's objection about who the little figure is. Mobius, you're in luck. It looks like you, but it's actually timely. All of that was great. And then you, we, then we really set up the first time or first time we see or have can get some put some sort of a number to it, not an exact figure, but some sort of number to how long this is taking and how long this is going to take Loki when he's asking about the other issue of, of speeding this up is being able to successfully integrate the prototype into the throughput multiplier that's going to be launched into the temporal loom. 
and Loki needs knows that he realizes he needs to get on OB's level. And so when he asks him how long it would take for him, assuming he knows very little, start from the beginning, how long would it take him to know everything OB knows about mechanics, physics, and engineering, to which OB estimates decades and then timely quickly corrects to centuries, and then we cut to centuries later. That was a great little scene here, Paul. Was it was incredible. Very, very funny, very entertaining. But also, as we're starting to shift the tone of the episode, we're not there yet. We're not totally shifting it yet, but we're at least giving you uh, some semblance of just being able to understand as an audience member. I mean, I know we don't actually sit there and watch Loki study mechanics, physics, and engineering for centuries, but we know he did it. We know he did the work. And so for him to go through this loop, however many times he's been through it at this point, and now he's going to take a centuries-long break to catch up to OB on mechanics, physics, and engineering. It, it does speak to just how far... It starts to speak to how far Loki is willing to go to just try and get this done. I, and again, to, to our point earlier, it this is phenomenal setup. You brought up a great point of how exhausting and how much Loki is working to get this done. And the fact that you're reminding us that he's a god that time doesn't really exist in this time frame and using it in a very funny way was like, it, cause I, I didn't blink an eye. I laughed out loud. I, I was like, ha, that's awesome. And like, and how he's just, you know, speeding everything up. Uh, the performance by Tom Hiddleston will, as we'll get deeper into. Oh, so good. Just, it's so good. And he just, he is so versatile. Um, you know, such a great actor. His Loki is just incredible. And I love seeing this version of Loki and I, 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 and see him at work and trying to frantically, you know, get this done. And I think that to me is what I love is that he's trying frantically and doing everything he can to fix everything and yeah. have everything be the certain way. And again, you're setting us up and I love it. And I love the fact that he's like, he taught, I was going to put, a, I'm not going to put a pin in it right now, but I'm just going to say this right really quick where he's taught, he's trying to get it all figured out the, the best way possible. So everyone survives mm -hmm. and he, and also what is he? Cause that's what his whole point of doing this, right? That's why he does centuries. He wants to save everybody. So what's the one thing about like being a God that like that he hasn't learned yet. We don't know. And all those to say that I'm not, without even saying it, just it's been talked about the whole the whole season, mm. and they've kind of danced around it, and then you're getting that. And he's so frantic, he's trying so hard to fix everything. Yep. So just gonna leave it there as we move on. Well, and you can also tell. I mean, the reason why we see various attempts at this, but we're probably only seeing a very small fraction of the times that Loki has looped through all of this yep. because that's yep. why he's moving so fast is he's been through this so many more times than what we are actually seeing. Um, and so all of that stuff was great. And when we do cut to centuries later and we're hearing about other failures as Loki is telling Victor Timely what not to do when he's telling him about don't set the multiplier on the gangway because it will roll off making sure that Casey giving him that last reminder to latch the helmet and Mobius, who's been in various iterations of these loops has been sort of picking up on this. Like, what does it mean when Loki says this time in this version of Mobius in this sequence is asking, you know, Mo asking Loki just what exactly he's doing. 
because he's very it's very clear that Loki is up to something and Mobius doesn't understand it right in that second because how could he but Loki even doesn't have time for that he has to keep it moving because he'll have a great conversation with Mobius later in the episode now is not the time for that Loki has to get this done and him getting on the mic and coaching timely through the walk down the gangway and is just the one step at a time you're being so brave uh was funny and yet also like necessary for loki to provide uh to provide timely with that coaching all the way down to the end remember, you know remember i told you not to set down the multiplier because it almost rolls off the gangway and then when timely actually does get the multiplier into the launcher then it's time to hit the green button but even this is a stage that we've made it to before. Loki has made it to before because now he knows, oh, well, the green button can be a little sticky. So Timely has to go ahead and hit it harder a second time to finally, at long last, successfully launch the throughput multiplier into the temporal loom. He makes his way back. Everybody is celebrating. Initially, it seems to be working. And then OB discovers that the readings are off. The loom is overloading again. The throughput has increased, but there are still too many branches as Timely calls out the scaling problem that there are the branches are forming and doubling at an infinite rate and you cannot scale for infinite. It's like trying to divide by zero. It simply can't be done. So no matter what they do with the temporal loom, no matter what they do with a throughput multiplier, it'll never be enough. And as Sylvie concludes... As soon as the time, it's almost as if, as soon as the timeline started branching, this was doomed to happen, to which Loki realizes that this is not the place where he is going to be able to solve this problem. And I was definitely wondering when they were going to get to this, because the way we saw the timeline expanding, I was like, well, how can you really uh, have a, a mechanical device that can accommodate infinite new branches. So I was wondering what that was going to be and how that was going to be addressed, if it was going to be addressed in the show, if it was just going to be impossible science left to be impossible and have it work anyway, because there's plenty of that in the show. But for them to be able to figure out or how they might be able to scale for the infinite, the truth is they can't. And they were true to that part of impossible science in the show. And it was actually allowed to be impossible in this case. And I, I do kind of feel like maybe uh, OB and Timely could have or should have already known that. And maybe deep down they did, but they just had to try something. And this was the only thing that anybody could think of. And if maybe the throughput multiplier worked, that it would work for a long enough stretch of time that they could have figured something else out. But it's it's starting to fail very quickly. But the, the sequence where it appeared to be successful, Loki coaching timely through the walk down the gangway and all of that, having a chance to feel triumphant, but you also just kind of know as an audience member, it's as hard as this looks, it's still not going to be this easy. But getting a chance to feel all of that effort as an audience member and see Loki go through all of these loops in the first, whatever, 15, 20 minutes of the show, wherever we are in the episode at this point. So we feel that effort, which means we also feel that pain when it fails and that disappointment when it fails. But I really, this was another great scene. I mean, you're going to hear me say that about like every scene in this episode, like you've probably heard me say already about every scene in every episode of Loki this season, uh, because they're just nailing all of them. But this whole sequence was great. It looked fantastic, but then the, the feeling and the emotion of it and the despair by the end of it, where it does put us into that heavier place, you know, where we get that, that major tonal shift in the episode, it all works really well. Yeah, I. This is where I think 
I, and again, I, I, I'm, I, wa- I started watching this show always just kind of distracted. That's just how my life is now, Sean and everybody. And that goes for any show. It could be Ahsoka, which I loved. Um, any show I'm watching, movie, YouTube sh- show, whatever. Whatever I'm doing, I'm distracted by the life around me, whether it be on my phone, my daughter, my wife, whatever. I've just got – I'm ADHD. I, I've got – yeah, whatever. This, and this show is, is no different, but it's always by like this the midpoint, right? Like kind of or a good quarter to midway through the show – my attention is fully sucked into what I'm watching. And when, cause I is obviously when we started getting to the point where timely starts figuring it out, like they start, like he gets, he gets through, you know, you're about to get this whole thing figured out. I, you know, and I'm paying attention, but I'm like, how much more do we have left? Cause I remember it was a longer episode. I'm like, that's weird. And I, I, I remember I, tr- I looked at the times, Sean, um, you know, how much was left? I'm like, Oh, we got a lot left. I'm like, that's interesting. Huh? You know, I'm like, well, what, what's going to happen here? And when it basically, you know, happens where it's like, it starts unraveling like again, and the impossible science kind of comes into play. I started think, thinking to myself, Oh, I think I know where they're going with this. And, it, and I was, I was kind of wrong, kind of right. But, but I started thinking, is this fate? And I, you know, which is not really, which wasn't really the case, but I started getting that idea of like, is this what they're trying to tell Loki? And I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure yet, but I started getting this idea of like, it, you know, which we get, we'll, we'll, I'll bring up later in a, in a little bit here. Um, but I started getting that sense of like, is this fate? Is this the universes, the multiverses telling Loki this is inevitable? I don't know. It was it was a really again, a credit to the writing because at this point my head starts turning because I'm like, how much time is left and how much and how great and how fun it was to get to that point where I'm like, well, sh- SHIT, uh, what, how, what, what are they trying to do here? Like, you know, what, where does Loki go from here? And that's why I think really my attention starts to really shift. And like you talk about that tonal shift, this is where the brilliance really comes into play because you're playing on all these different, uh, emotions and themes all at once. And you're putting it all on its head and you're saying it's forcing Loki to, you know, and the audience to be like, what is it trying to say? Because you could go a route of like a complete 180 where it could go like a, and this is not a, 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 a slam on She-Hulk, but the finale of She-Hulk kind of went a 180 in a joke sense. This could go a 180, like almost like season one a little bit where it kind of uh, subverts expectations a little bit with the whole not fight with uh, he who remains and could go a different direction. But it doesn't. And that's what I think is the brilliance of the scene of like where we're going, because it really pulls everything into what Loki has been built up for of being this bigger person trying to save everybody. And it's not working. And I'm like, why isn't it working? And I'm like, is it fate? And we'll find out soon what that answer is. But I just, again, brilliant writing and setup right here. Yeah, it was really great. And I, I think it was also a way to really 
designed to really push Loki in a direction where he was going to have to make a choice because that's not necessarily what Loki has had to do. Like the temporal loom kind of felt like an out, which is we can have the TVA doing what it's supposed to do and, and and it can still serve all of the necessary functions that it needs to do without he who remains and we can have the branch timelines and everything will be okay because we will have the temporal loom but then to realize that that safety net of the temporal loom is actually a safety net for he who remains not for loki and not a way to move around the choices and the debates that they have been having and that they've been weighing since the first season and so to really push it in that direction and now we need to have the harder conversations and the the episode does get much heavier as we go back to the citadel at the end of time or forward to the citadel at the end of time i guess it's the same but anyway loki goes back to that moment where he tries to stop sylvie from killing he who remains and of course she this is the sylvie who hasn't seen any of the stuff that happens after she kills he who remains so how would she know and she's accusing Loki of being seduced by a throne. And then he says, the last thing I want is a throne. Hmm, put a pin in that. Uh, last thing he wants is a throne. And uh, Sylvie making it clear that if Loki wants to stop her, he's going to have to kill her. And he who remains is observing these battles over and over again. Not that he knows it's happening over and over again, although he does become aware of the fact that this has happened many times. But he who remains eventually pauses time, surprised that Loki hasn't uh, figured out how to do that yet. Turns out Loki has, but he's asking Loki, how many times have you been at this? And of course, now we're seeing that he who remains is, this is all part of it too. This is just another road that he paved, including the time slipping for Loki as he identifies. They talk it out clearly not for the first time. And he who remains making it clear that he always knew that this was going to happen. This was the reincarnation baby that he was referring to in the season one finale, calling back to here and the cyclical nature of all of this stuff. It's always going to happen. It's always going to work out this way, to which uh, Loki quotes T.S. Eliot's Little Getting, saying, we die with the dying, we're born with the dead, and then revealing that Loki can actually pause time too, because this is really not the first time that they have had this conversation, Loki and He Who Remains, but then he who remains reveals more than maybe Loki has previously understood that the temporal loom that Loki has been relying on as the thing that will save it all if they can just get it fixed. He who remains points out again, that's his safety net, not Loki's, not anyone else's, that the loom is a fail safe. Remember fail safe mode initiated when we saw the uh, temporal loom melting down. So in where we saw in the beginning of episode five, after, of course, the cliffhanger from episode four. The loom is a failsafe. It deletes everything. It automatically deletes everything but the sacred timeline. That is what it is there to do. The TVA, it's there to help the process, but also when the TVA is destroyed, as He Who Remains points out, can be rebuilt very easily from He Who Remains perspective. No big deal. The main thing that has to be there at the core of it all, backing everything up to make sure that the sacred timeline is the only timeline that is still around. That is the job of the temporal loom. So yes, he who remains was in fact behind the failsafe mode that we were wondering about last week. And the outcome remains the same, that Loki will always lose. And remember that what makes a Loki a Loki is that they will always lose. Well, that's where he who remains is driving at here. And Loki discovers that 
this equation that always, as he who remains puts it, always results in Loki losing unless Loki changes the equation by breaking the loom. But that, he who remains warns, is what would trigger the multiversal war, the, at the end of which nothing would survive, not even the sacred timeline. So every timeline goes away if the temporal loom is destroyed, according to he who remains. And he points out how he made the tough choices. That's why he gets the big chair. And he ultimately believes that what he's doing is mercy. But Loki still wants to try and find another way. But then he who remains presents him with the hard choice. Break the loom, risk everything, and everything's destroyed. Or kill Sylvie, and we protect what we can. Another outstanding scene, just amazingly written, uh, perfectly acted, like just done so incredibly well. Everything about this was outstanding. And it, it was so good, Paul, that it overcame the issue that I otherwise might have, where there is something that runs the risk of an eye roll in this scene, which is we spent the entire season one finale talking about killing he who remains and triggering a multiversal war. Turns out that doesn't trigger a multiversal war. No, it's this that will trigger the multiversal war with the temporal loom. So when you say, okay, not really then, but now we're serious, now we mean it, that definitely runs the risk of whether or not the audience is going to buy it. I totally bought it in this scene because of the conversation that they had that ultimately set it up. And it also just makes sense for he who remains. Of course he would have a backup plan. This is the backup plan. Obviously, if this goes away, it doesn't sound like there's a backup to the backup plan. So I will buy that this is the thing that could potentially trigger the multiversal war. And so now uh, Loki, though, in this moment, when he's talking about finding another way, when he's presented with two choices and both of them are terrible, either run the risk of a multiversal war that destroys everything, or he has to kill Sylvie and also do the other thing he doesn't want to do, which is the idea of all the other timelines being pruned and there is no free will and everything has to be in accordance with the sacred timeline. Neither of those options are appealing to Loki, and he is starting to talk about finding another way. Even if supposedly there's not another way, there has to be, it has to be found, or we're going to die trying to find another way, because, I mean, he's not fully there yet, but we see he's getting there. He actually is, as I said, getting more aligned with Sylvie. Not all the way, but he's going to try and do his due diligence to figure out what choice he ultimately is going to make. And for he who remains... In terms of Loki's perspective here, uh, certainly another thing complicating the the choice for Loki is clearly he who remains cannot be trusted. Um, again, you kill me, multiversal war starts. I was just kidding about that. I set up this other thing. So you don't necessarily know and, and certainly can't feel like if you do what he who remains says that everything is going to work out okay for you. There's not, there's not a lot that Loki can really buy into it, but that also doesn't mean that everything he who remains is saying is a lie. So Loki has to weigh all of that. And it just speaks to, we've seen the physical exhaustion and we've seen the mental exhaustion that Loki has been experiencing throughout this entire series, but specifically in this episode, making every effort, exhausting every effort that he can think of right now, going round and round and round again in all these different scenarios, in the temporal loom, in the Citadel, battling Sylvie over and over and over again, we see just the lengths that Loki is going to and still just coming up empty and still just arriving at this place where he feels like he has to make a choice without a, a single good option 
that seems uh, workable to him, that seems something that he can actually live with, that he can find some comfort with. And we'll talk more about comfort in the next scene. But just a, a really great scene of really illustrating the point of exhausting all options, exhausting all efforts, doing everything that Loki can really in, in some efforts to make the choice easier for himself, but there's not going to be an easy choice that he gets to make no matter what. Um, and him kind of coming to that realization, not that he's just looking for an easy way out, but even trying to just find an acceptable way out is part of the struggle that he is that he is still having. And so it's, it's just a great scene that builds on a character like He Who Remains and, and just the, the depths to which, the lengths to which he has gone to plan for all of this uh, to make sure all roads lead to him at the end, or try to make sure all roads lead to him at the end of time. And then for Loki, doing everything that he can do and just exploring every possibility to try and prevent this, to try and find some way to have, you know, try and find some way to save everyone and then keep coming up against the idea that no matter what he does, he's not going to be able to save everyone. Um, putting Loki in that position and the way that they do that and the way it's it's debated between these characters was really just really really great and and an amazing setup like it it feels weird to refer to this scene as setup because it's it's not it's even by itself it's an outstanding scene but then when you think about what it sets up for what remains of this episode is just so it's just so good yeah this is where i mentioned earlier that I started thinking, is this where fate is coming in line? And when, when he is facing Sylvie and that we're, we're getting closer to that idea, right? Because he keeps saying like the only way you, he realizes that he who remains is the only, at, th at this point is the only one that can stop this and that he had to basically kill Sylvie to get obviously to stop everything at this, at this point. And I started thinking like, oh my God, they're going the full fate angle here. Like, this is like, you can't stop this either. You have to either make a sacrifice of something keyword here of something. And at this point he's thinking Sylvie and then he's like, or he let, you know, what does he do? And I just, just see that in his performance of trying. And again, the the setup of the show, I'm going to keep saying it and it's real. The setup of having the whole centuries later thing as a joke, then to this, it, it paves a way that that play action setup, if you will, wink, wink, uh, Sean, just for you. I thought we were going hockey. I thought we were, no, I, 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 I really I, thought we I were headed toward yet. a power play or something. Uh, no, well, I don't know. We, okay, I'm trying, I'm, I know my knowledge of hockey isn't there yet. It's getting there, but I'll, I'll find something to sneak it in there. But no, this is more of that setup I was referring to. You could say they move around a two on one setup, you know, whatever, whatever. I digress. Um, with this setup from that whole joke thing and the whole like him speeding everything up and and he did he had he succeeded that's the key here he succeeded initially to figure out and and learn through this you know i'm gonna figure out physics you know over centuries later and get this figured out and what i love is we don't know. We don't know how much he tried, right, Sean? Because time doesn't exist for Loki. Yeah, I so mean, he we, tried a lot. He tried, you know, I don't know, an infinite number of times. Bro. Exactly. I mean, eventually, there's a number on on how many times he tried. But I, I think he tried a lot. But I also think it's just the we talk about he who remains paving the road for it. Loki mm -hmm. was so focused on fixing the temporal loom when 
the temporal loom never needed to be fixed. It was doing exactly what it was always, always intended to do. It wasn't there to support timelines. It was there to prune them. And so that was the only thing that it could ever do. Even with a throughput multiplier, you know, you can't really, you know, if it's not if it's not broken, don't fix it. Well, the, the temporal loom was never broken. It was doing exactly what he who remains built it to do. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's where when you see him just trying to convince Sylvie. And the one thing that I love about this show that I think is maybe uh, maybe I'm downplaying or I'm, I don't really is more obvious than, than I'm realizing or whatever is that you can learn physics, you can learn uh, these book smarts and whatever, but people are not that like direct. People are way more complex mentally and who they are and emo that emotional standpoint is so much harder to understand and grasp and to get through than any school thing you can think of. And that to me was a really... Lisa, how I again, this is why art is so amazing with the capital A people, because I have no idea that's what they're going for, but that's the way I interpreted that. And I projected that or, you know, that was projected to me anyway from that whole scene was that Loki could go and spend centuries learning physics. But in the end, he couldn't convince and stop Sylvie from, you know, her emotional like tra uh, trauma because the the human was to say God, but you know what I mean here. The emotion that we have as people is always more complex than anything we have out there. And I think that is really saying something. And just that whole, again, that setup that it did with, with the whole physics thing, with the whole joke thing to Sylvie. And then he who remains is laughing because he knows. He knows that no matter what, this is not something you you have to make the the sacrifice. There's there there has to be something. He he taunts him with it, because he who remains knows what is that sacrifice. He who remains hasn't sacrificed, made that sacrifice yet. He sacrificed billions of people for one timeline, and that's the thing. Like he hasn't made the ultimate sacrifice himself. That's ultimately what they're setting up here, and it's beautifully written and acted and per everything is perfect everything about this. And this is why I think I started really getting emotionally, more emotionally involved in this show than I ever thought I was. I already really liked the show a lot. And I have said so from the beginning and I've been critical of the shows, even like I always go back to like Moon Knight. I love Moon Knight. Episode five of Moon Knight's an all timer. The show as a, as a whole, it's hit and miss for me. I, I don't love it. Even though Moon Knight is one of my favorite characters in the comic books, he's a top five for me. I love him. And it's hard. I don't love something just because it's like Marvel or it's a character I love, whatever. I tr I just, there there can be wrong turns. So I'll make this very clear that I was not expecting it to be this emotionally invested at this moment because there's just something so powerful about Loki who wants to be king, right? He's trying to be this all, you know, that's, I go back to the Avengers 1. I said this last episode. You know, he's just, he wants to, you know, I am a king. And he's like, you know, and, and Thor's like, you're not, <laughs> you are, you, you are not a king. And to rule something there and to be God, you, there has to be an understanding. And, and what does, you know, there is, there's a sacrifice a lot of times to doing that, you know, but he who remains 
is not that person because he sacrificed so much to get what he wanted. Well, and, and he's sacrificing at arm's length. Like he's sacrificing. Exactly. I mean, literally the prune device is like keeping people at a distance as you dispatch them. And he's not even the one doing the pruning up close. So maybe he has it at various points. But I, I think that for Loki, even the, I'm going to talk about the impossible choice here. Even if Loki were willing to sacrifice Sylvie, even if he were willing to kill her, that still wouldn't solve the problem because he also still knows what he's ensuring by killing her, which is, oh, we're still going to go with the he who remains runs it all and we have the sacred timeline method. And which obviously comes with a lot of moral and ethical implications that Loki, understandably, is not a fan of. So it really is this impossible position for Loki to be in. And I, I really like that that's how this becomes the the full circle issue from the debate that was, I mean, yes, the debate started, you could say thematically it's been part of it the whole time, but where it became, where Loki really started weighing this issue was as it was presented to him in the season one finale. And here we are back at the same place where that question was, uh, was first uh, given to Loki, and now he still doesn't have an answer for it. He's gone through this entire adventure trying to find and it, trying to find an alternative solution and, and whatever that is. But at the same time, like he has leaned towards feeling like the TVA was necessary, hoping to have the TVA doing its job without pruning and not having it do everything that He Who Remains was having it do. And all of these different things, Loki was really trying to find a solution, but he's now being pulled back to there's only two options, option A and option B, but Loki is still hoping for an option C, but before he really believes in that, before he really starts to buy into that or attempt that, he needs a little bit of help just figuring out the whole A and B of it all with those two options, and so he goes back to that first long conversation that he had with Mobius inside the Time Theater from episode one, Glorious Purpose, same title as this episode, and when Loki starts replaying for Mobius the whole conversation of what's going to happen, hitting the button, showing Loki his life, all of that. Great line from Owen Wilson as Mobius. Someone got a hold of the set list. I love that. But then Loki gets to the heart of the matter. How do you choose who lives and who dies? And Mobius tries to tell his story about that. And Loki trying to figure out how do you find comfort in the choice that you make? And Mobius says that you're not going to find comfort in the TVA. And he tells the story of two hunters who were sent to prune a variant. And the one of those hunters who never hesitated before hesitated when he saw that this variant was an eight-year-old boy who was doing nothing but playing with his brother and jumping off the dock, eventually knowing in his head that this variant was going to be responsible for 5,000 deaths that weren't supposed to happen having that space in his head didn't change the fact that this was an eight-year-old kid who, at that point, hadn't done anything, absolutely nothing wrong, and Mobius understandably hesitated. That hesitation caused issues that got other hunters killed, but ultimately, the other partner, who turned out to be Ravona Renslayer, went ahead and pruned that eight-year-old variant. And so Mobius talks about how, ultimately, they got to keep the big picture in mind and he also talks about how he has a, a great line here where he says, most purpose is more burden than glory. And you never want to be the guy who avoids it because you can't live with the burden. Never want to be the guy who avoids purpose. 
And so Loki asks how Mobius lives with it, to which Mobius responds, scar, uh, scar tissue. And then Mobius talks about how there is no comfort. You just choose your burden. And for Loki, it's the bearing the burden of either pruning or not pruning and, and all of the implications that come with that choice. And Loki stands up, shakes Mobius's hand, and then Mobius uh, thanks Mobius, and then Mobius turns to spaghetti and everything around turns to spaghetti and goes away. And this really was goodbye between Loki and Mobius ultimately in this scene. And this was as good as any scene throughout this entire series. I mean, it was right there with how outstanding this was. And I thought it was something that was a new level for Owen Wilson to be able to really, something new for him to present for Mobius as an actor. And, and I think a lot of times we've had a lot of Mobius that is that is comic relief and he's very charming, he's very funny. And we've had some moments where he does really get to be earnest, where he really is genuinely feeling something. We've had a lot more of that in season two compared to season one, but they saved their best for last. I know this isn't literally the last time we see Mobius, but this is the last interaction that we get, at least for now, between Loki and Mobius. And for Mobius being able to kind of bear his soul and show that none of these things that he's been doing have been easy for him. And we know that they've affected him because if we do go back to the very first episode of this show in season one, what do we see? We see Mobius interacting with a young child, maybe about eight years old, and that kid has to be pruned. Everything there has to be pruned. What does Mobius do in that situation? He has the kid go wait outside. You know, he gives him a little bit of candy, or well, the candy was already there because from the variant from Sylvie, but he has the kid go wait out, go wait outside because Mobius is seeing the bigger picture, but this is also part of maybe how he finds some comfort with it is he needs distance from it because this is not okay for him. He's not happy about this. And even when Loki kind of calls it out and he tries to say, well, we don't decide who gets pruned. That's the timekeepers. But even Loki says, but you are ultimately the one who's there, who's doing it. You do make a choice. How do you make that choice? And we see for Mobius, it's a tortured choice. It's not a choice that he's happy with. It's a burden that he accepts in believing in the purpose of the TVA, that this has this has to be it, that this has to be done. It's not about whether or not I want to do it. This is a burden I have to bear. And if, because if I don't, as bad as this is, everything else is just going to be much worse if I don't take this on. And then to take the conversation around glorious purpose. And they already did a beautiful job of reframing that throughout all of this show. But it started in that first episode in season one in that conversation between Mobius and Loki. And to take that conversation and reframe it in this other way for Loki's glorious purpose, hence the title coming back, and remembering how Loki originally said it, because Burden was in that line too. We all remember glorious purpose, but Burden is in there too. I am Loki of Asgard, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. He's been learning, Loki has, that the glorious part in you know the the glorious purpose part of what he thought it was uh, was a fallacy based on what he was believing at the time. Now the focus it's it's less because when when Loki says burden with glorious purpose, he's really thinking a lot more about glory than burden, even more glory than purpose. Right? That's what that was Loki's frame of mind there. But he's been deconstructing that sense of glorious purpose this entire time. But now. His focus is pointed directly at that other word that preceded 
glorious purpose, which was the burden, because purpose is much more for Loki, as he's learning now, purpose is much more about what he needs to do, not because of what he thinks he, well, not because of what he thinks he wants or he thinks he needs. That's not what his purpose is about. His purpose, it's much more about what is needed of him. And so we talk about the role of a god, or an Asgardian god in this case, the role is not so much to rule as it is to serve, and that is what Loki is, and that's informing a choice, a sacrifice that Loki is going to make by the end of this episode. He's not fully there yet, but he's getting there, and I think that this is a great way for Loki to have a chance to examine this. How do you make the choice between two things that both seem bad? Here's a way that Mobius lived with it, but there's also a part of it that still just ultimately doesn't seem acceptable, which is why he's going to have to go check in and have another conversation with Sylvie. But none of it is easy. None of it is about glory. It is about doing what you feel, what you feel you must, what you believe you must, or know in your heart is is true. And obviously, Mobius was very conflicted about that in the TVA, and I don't think he ever fully resolved those feelings in the TVA. And there was a reason he couldn't fully resolve those feelings. He just continued to do what he felt like he had to do. And Loki is gonna, is still trying to find a way to make another choice. But just in case there is no out, just in case there is no option C, he needed to have this conversation to learn between, you know, to have this conversation around choosing who lives and who dies, because he feels like that's a choice he's currently faced with. Um, but then, of course, getting that line about purpose and, and reframing that was huge for Loki in, in informing the decision that he ultimately makes. Just a, a beautiful scene. Yeah, I, I think it's very fascinating and just very telling um, and, and a great, great, uh, uh, what's the word, very inspired idea to bring him back to that point uh, in time because that's where he, he's, the true growth of Loki happened. So he, it's, it's, it's also, you know, you're going back to the glorious purpose, you know, that you're, it's, it's a, you know, double meaning everything. Right. But what's brilliant about that is that you're going back and you're seeing a Mobius. It's very, um, he's not, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not influenced by anything. He's, he's true to himself. And he, and he knows that's the moment that where he originally started this journey and that right. that's what affected him the most. And that's when he knew he'd get the best, the, the most honest reaction was from that time because that's when he was most, when he, he started learning to be honest with himself through Mobius at that moment in Glorious Purpose. And I think it's a, a, such a brilliant, like inspired uh, move to write that and have him go back to that point in his life where he's basically going back to where this new version started. And in where it's going to go up another level and how he needed to have that same moment, that yeah. same Mobius to reiterate that to him or to, to explain that side of it to him. And it's, again, brilliant, brilliant writing. Yeah, that's a great point, because it is bringing in terms of why that moment, that's a version of Mobius who has not been demystified of the TVA and the dogma around the TVA and the methods of the TVA. He doesn't like it, but this is a version of Mobius who accepts it, and that is even without liking it, even without being comfortable with it. That's not the point for Mobius, is that there is what he believes and has bought into is that there is this necessary purpose that he is carrying out, and the burden of that purpose, 
this definitely was the version. You're, it's a great point, Paul, because it really is that it has to be that version of Mobius in that moment. It can't go back really to any other moment. And because if he goes back to the other times where Mobius was starting to realize what pruning actually was and how bad it was and all of that, like then it's it's different for Mobius. But because this is a this is the frame of mind for Mobius that is similar. You know, this is a Mobius who has accepted the type of choice that Loki is being forced to, you know, decide with these options or feels like he's being forced to decide. So yeah, great. Uh, you're totally right on that. Great choice of, of setting, of timing, no pun intended for time issues with this show. But I, I think it was uh, it just a, an incredible scene. Uh, very just, I mean, the original, just the idea of this scene is outstanding. And then the the execution is uh, is, is even better. Just really great. And Loki needs to have another conversation, so he goes to that moment in Pasadena at uh, OB, or rather AD's uh, lab or, or workspace, uh, as everything was turning to spaghetti, and he has they ha- has a conversation outside of time with Sylvie, and now it is time. We've They've been having this debate the whole time, but especially this specific debate, really since the season one finale, and it's carried through, and it's a topic that they have revisited throughout this season and so and as we've talked about it's not just retread it's not repeat they've been advancing the conversation the whole time and now it has to reach its conclusion and Loki shares everything that he's learned so that Sylvie understands that Sylvie understands the choice that Loki has to make and she's realizing that what Loki is talking about is that she in theory, has to be prevented from killing he who remains and that, but she's not about to give Loki her blessing to go and kill her at the Citadel at the end of time because Sylvie makes the point, it's not enough to protect the sacred timeline at the expense of taking away everyone's free will to which Loki argues, again, we're having a great debate here, this impossible philosophical debate, what good is free will if everyone's dead to which Sylvie says, who are you to say we can't die trying? Who are you to decide that we can't die fighting? You're replacing one nightmare with another. And Sylvie speaks to and talks about her experience in all of these Armageddon events that we know she was hiding out in to hide from the TVA for who knows how long, for eons. And Sylvie begins a thought that Loki finishes with Sylvie starting with, Sometimes it's okay to destroy something in which Loki finishes with, if there's hope that you can replace that thing with something better. So Loki talked to Sylvie about hope earlier in this season and hoping for a lot. But what are you hoping for? And I think that that is now, you know, for for Sylvie to kind of have that hope message and getting it back to Loki or helping Loki see that and reach that conclusion that even in the face of an impossible choice where it doesn't seem like there's another option. Try to find one anyway, because if both of these options are bad, we can't move forward with either one. And to Sylvie's point, it's not up to Loki to decide what happens to everyone. It's not up to Loki to decide what people are willing to fight for or what they're willing to die for or what they get the opportunity to fight for or die for to stand for themselves. That as difficult as this choice is, perhaps the reason it's so difficult is it really shouldn't be Loki's choice or anybody's choice to make. And so finishing that conversation in that way 
that started in the season one finale. I mean, have been having it the whole series, really, but specifically the debate between Sylvie and Loki really started in the season one finale. They've carried it all the way through, brought it full circle here, and they ultimately joined together in the end. It's literally Sylvie, the conclusion to the argument is Sylvie starting a sentence that Loki finishes, and now Loki is inspired to do something better, or at least to try, even if it may fail, just going on that hope of something better. And so this this whole debate that they've been having, I mean, I think we've been given a lot of Loki's perspective, and we've understood a lot of Loki's perspective, not to say that we haven't been given and understood Sylvie's perspective, we have, but I think in watching the show and the way that it's unfolded, thinking that maybe Loki is going to win out in this debate, he ultimately doesn't. He ultimately makes a choice that is actually much more aligned and in agreement with the point that Sylvie made, that even if it is uh, against all odds, if the only if the only alternatives are bad, try something else anyway. And I think that that is, a, it's an amazing conclusion to this debate that these two characters have. It's inspirational for these two characters. I think as an audience member watching, I just love this scene. And it's a great little, uh, you know, precursor to exactly what's about to uh, what we're what we're about to see Loki do. I think that the the thing for me that is so powerful about this is, you know, she says when she says to him, are you here asking for permission to kill me? And it's it's like that's on it's it's obviously not what he wants to do. And it's not necessarily what he's like trying to do, but that's there. It's an, un, it's an, it's under, it's an uh, undercurrent, if you will. And it, it's an option. And that's kind of, I just, I just, there's something so powerful about that. And, you know, it's just the whole, and this is where I'm, I'm fully engaged at this point because he can't do it. And this is someone remember who Loki was before he took the cosmic cube, uh, not I'll call it the Tesseract people, cosmic cube, um, you know, to, you know, for, you know, when the Hulk comes in in the end game and crashes everything, Loki like murdered, like about like all these people. Like this is a guy that like had no problem, you know, offing people. And now can't, he can't do it. Like it's it used to be no big deal. And now it's like, He's begging for someone essentially at this point to give him direction of what to do. And like, that's an option. And, and he loves this person. And it's just such a powerful, powerful scene that, that both, both leads just, just crush it. And again, you're setting up cause I have at this point, Sean, I have no idea what the F is happening. Like I I'm, I'm like, where is this going? Like, I, I mean, I, cause I keep thinking that fate thing, right. I keep going, like, is this where like, you know, it's inevitable. Is that where he's going to come? What's that conclusion going to come to? So I'm just like on the edge of my seat. Like what is going to happen? Yeah. I mean, I, I had a feeling where it was going in the sense that, you know, Loki ultimately wasn't just going to go with, obviously wasn't going to go with whatever he who remains said that he wasn't sticking with the sacred timeline, that he was going to make an attempt of replacing it with something better but what exactly that was you know what that better thing was supposed to be uh that i i didn't know i certainly didn't know exactly the way that it was all going to come together 
the way that we saw it in in this episode or the way that we were about to see it in this moment. Um, it was just uh, it was just really really incredible in terms of what we were about to see. And and so when we do get to now we go back to where we started in uh, when we go back to where we started at this episode in that moment at the temporal loom. And so where it looked like that wasn't the moment that was going to offer the solution, it turns out it does. It just has to be a completely different kind of solution. It doesn't involve a throughput multiplier or anything like that. It involves Loki. And as he makes his move toward the toward the gangway and Sylvie and Mobius rush out because he's about to go out there completely unprotected, unshielded from the temporal radiation. And what he says is he turns back, he puts in the the airlock, whatever that is, to uh, to you know seal off Sylvie and Moby so they can't get to him. He turns to them and he says, I know what I want. I know what kind of God I need to be for you, for all of us. And then he makes his way out onto the gangway one step at a time. And because he can control the time slipping, he can also overcome the spaghettification. But then he transitions from TVA Loki to the god Loki green costume we see the crown and then the horns grow out of it it just looks amazing and then he uses his powers to destroy the temporal loom and all that's left are these branches floating around and it looks they appear to be dying until loki starts to power them and he starts collecting all of these branches and weaving them together they're forming a cape for him they're coming out of his hands as sylvie is realizing He's giving us a chance. Basically, Loki is the temporal loom, or rather, he is the something better that replaced it, and he slowly takes the throne. The last thing he wanted was a throne, but now it's not about what he wants as a throne. It's the burden of the throne that Loki is accepting. He is accepting the burden of his glorious purpose, not the glorious purpose that he thought that he had, but what is really his glorious purpose, minus the glory from an external standpoint, right? Like there's not, very few people know what Loki did. There's not gonna be a lot of glory. There's not gonna be a lot of praise that's heaped upon him for what he's making. It is more of the the burden of that purpose is really what's happening for Loki. And the way it all comes together as he sits down on that throne, it takes the shape of a tree with all these branches. I mean, he effectively is, you know, Yggdrasil, the world's tree with the nine realms and everything that we've seen from Asgard in these movies. And so Loki being able to accept the burden of his purpose and choose that burden, that's the choice he's making. And think about what that represents from what Loki thought he wanted, thought he had to have versus what he's choosing here. There is no one to kneel before him in on this throne. Effectively, he's the one kneeling. And the true purpose of this king is to serve, not to rule. And the people that he's, that are that he is providing for through this choice, they weren't made uh, They weren't made to be ruled. In fact, he was made so that they wouldn't have to be ruled. Or rather, he was made to give them a chance, to give them a choice, to choose their own fate, to decide so that their destiny would be what they decide. And only Loki wasn't really made this way. He made himself into this by going on this journey and the way he grew through it, through his choices, through what he was willing to learn, that he was able to experience this growth through everything that he did. And obviously he had 
a lot of help on along the way that informed his his growth as a character. And so he was right. He didn't know how right he was or why he was right when he once said that freedom was life's great lie. It was life's great lie until now through this choice, he's made it true. He has allowed freedom to be an actual thing and free will to exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse. Loki, King of Asgard, King of Midgard, King of Space. He is now the King of Space Time. I know this is also uh, aligned with the comic books of being the, the King of Stories and that being the place. They didn't identify what Loki exactly is the King of specifically for MCU purposes, but it's really more about, it's not about the title of King. It's about serving on that throne. And for that to be Loki's choice and for it to be represented in that beautiful visual way that they put it all together for this was just incredible. That was, an, it was an emotional experience just watching that moment because of the way it was presented visually, but also knowing as an audience member because his character arc and the th- the themes of this series have been so clear and the commitment to those things has been so full, so complete and the ultimate execution because it's one thing to have great ideas, but to actually be able to weave it together into a, a really beautiful story the way that they have on this series was something that really was remarkable. And that was the kind of moment where that's probably the moment in my head where it just locked into my subconscious, Paul, that I knew I was getting a text from you because it, it was hard not to watch that and not just immediately recognize that that this was different, that this was really yeah. some out, outstanding storytelling on on a completely different level than we usually see to take nothing away from so many great stories that we have seen in the mcu Mm -hmm. and outside but there are just times where you know something's on a different level this was one of those times the the execution of this part which i had no idea because i i because i remember thinking while he kept making timely go out there I kept thinking to myself too, like, like, wait, well, Loki's a god. Like, why couldn't he just like go out there and like, you know? I thought about that, but you know, but then when he went out there and he did everything, I, I, I thought, oh, like, I get it now. And and then when he started grabbing all the branches, and you know these and powering them all together. And then as he as he went full and I, I, how about this? Let's pull back a little bit even further because as he's walking, he's also his costume is coming into form, mm-hmm. and I thought that was very interesting. So it we're literally seeing the changing to the new Loki as he's his power. He's starting to use his power level essentially, right? And we're starting to see the new Loki form and metamorphosize in front of our eyes as he's walking closer and closer to the the, the pentoral loom. And then when he grabs the branches and grabs it all together, which is just visually stunning. And I want, I I was very careful, uh, you know, to to, to say this on Twitter or whatever it's called now. And I I said, it just, this is incredible. And I didn't want to say it out there, but I want, I wanted, I said it to you, Sean, I said this, like it visually is one of the more most impressive like displays of CGI on a show that I've seen like in a while. And it was it looked beautiful. And it was just such a well-executed thing that 
you know, we didn't we didn't need a, a giant fight scene, special effects fight scene. This was a an emotional stamp. And using the CGI to like in, in that moment in your budget, essentially, right? To use it on this scene, because it they did not spare no expense on this scene, in my opinion. This was Chef's Kiss, man. It was great. And I just sat there going, whoa, wait a minute. And I and I realized. Because I remember I thought it was very, very visually interesting. As he's walking closer, we get, of course, I love it, costume Loki, right? So I'm already like, I'm all right. I'm like, all right. Eric but it's Martin, also Loki accepting, I mean, visually what it, that's representing, it's Loki accepting his place as a god and what that means. Exactly. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. you can tell and Sylvie that, all day long, we are gods, but what does that mm-hmm. mean? And mm-hmm. you know, the, the visual mm-hmm. representation of him accepting what that means and, and the burden that comes with it was just it was beautiful and like and to your point it is stunning i'm sure somebody who actually makes vfx would, would well not sure absolutely positive I mean, somebody who does this stuff could probably speak more to i mean the the technical quality of it but just from my uh from my perspective i i agree with you visually that's one of the most impressive vfx sequences that i've seen you know especially on something on the that was only ever intended for the small screen yeah exactly and i and so when all this starts happening, he starts grabbing all the branches and he starts turning everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's making the sacrifice, the the burden. Like you talk about the burden. We ha- He has the the crown. He has the crown, you know, the horn, the, the horn crown now. And it, it's back. And everything that he wanted finally came to this to Loki. But n- only when he decided to be make the selfless act. And that to me is such a, it's such a great theme and like to everyone out there, like that's, that's how it is, man. Like that's, that's how it is. And I just love that, you know, to be, you know, to find to be that God to to rule is, you know, is, is, is not to always be what you think it is and to have power. Cause, cause obviously to me it's, it's, you know, I think of King yeah. God is, it's just, it's extension of power. Yeah. Right. Well, and he's not, cause that's the thing is he's not ruling. He's not telling anybody what to do. Nobody has to live by his rules or laws he makes or right. anything like that. He is, he is there serving in a place to allow everybody else to decide for themselves what they're going to do. Right. Right. And that's, and that to me is so symbolic of I think of how character and people can change for the better. You know, I think it, there's so much you can, you can pull from this whole scene and it's just, and again, like I think it's, it's so beautifully executed by how he sits on his throne, you know, and, uh, and this, you know, being that, that the web of life, if you will, you know, I'm sure that'll play into, into the spider verse at some point, but that's, that's where he's at at this point. And I just, I just sat there going, whoa. And then you add to like, you know, all this emotional, like, because I went through this journey. We all went through this journey with Loki the whole season and saw the progression of this character even further and not to be the retreading, but like he's grappling with the fact of what, you know, what is the ultimate thing that needs to happen and his sacrifice, which he didn't realize to put himself there until he realized that's what he needed to do. And he had the power as God, as a God to do that. And I think that's just so, it's such a, a powerful thing to, to write. And then you get into like, I think the, the cool stuff of like the, the canon, if you will, 
you know, I love it, Sean, that he's holding all this together at the roots is mm-hmm. green. But then what is at the fruit of it? It's purple. And it's symbolic of he who remains, Kang, and that what and I immediately start thinking like this is the key, one of the main keys of Secret Wars. Because it feels like, you know, again, we don't want to get too di- I'm not gonna dive into this at all for the deeper stuff, but like I to me it's evident that Loki is holding everything together uh, literally at this point. And there's going to have to be, you know, to get Secret Wars, I'm, again, I'm assuming it's going to involve a multiverse of some kind, of, obviously. So how are we going to get there? And what does that mean? It's just, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And it also means that, like, Loki's going to come back, probably. And be a, probably a major player in it. And there's just so much radness with that. Because I want to see this Loki working with Thor. I don't care if it's Thor now or Thor and the Avengers that they were pulling that, you know, what, whatever. Right. I don't care because to see the character progression of this Loki to like Thor at any point is going to be an amazing conversation and like interaction, because that is something that we have not seen Thor witness. He's seen like Loki be, you know, feel bad and, and, and have the love for him because that's his brother. But we haven't seen this transform. He hasn't seen this transformation of this completely different person. So it's there's so much in this. I think from like an emotional writing standpoint that you can pull that you pull from, and I love. And there's so much from a canon standpoint that I'm like I can I'm pulling from that I love. It's this is one of the best, if not the best, Marvel series. I don't know if it's better than Wandavision. I don't know. This is definitely the best finale of all of them that I've seen. I, this is just, it's an all timer. It, I can't say, I can't say it enough. This is an incredible, incredible episode. I need to rewatch it again as soon as possible. Just cause I, I love that ending so much. And I just, I, I, I Tom Hiddleston is give us a phenomenal performance, a perfect blend of CGI, you know, effects, acting, all in unison, writing, directing, lighting, whatever. Again, really quickly, the score of the series. I've been critical of the music of this previous season. I know it's the same uh, composer. I thought she did much better. Than, I liked her music much better this season. In, and I didn't like it at all in Obi-Wan. So I was not anticipating to like it anymore. I thought she did a, a much better job in this in this season. I was a huge fan of Natalie Holt's score for the first season and just continued loving her work and, and what she brought to the second season. She is uh, she's done just an outstanding job for this series. And, yeah, the music has been a huge certainly for me. And I think for a lot of people, a, a huge part of the appeal of the show for all 12 episodes now. And and I know as far as the the aftermath of this, I mean, we cut to after and we see the new TVA, we see the tree right there in the poster work for the TVA saying, let's grow together. And we see them bringing back Miss Minutes and being a little worried about what that may turn into. So that's not just like automatically okay, which does beg the question of like, why? But anyway, (laughs) we'll see what happens. But at least Miss Minutes is back uh, in the MCU. And everything seems more positive in uh, in the TVA. B-15 is checking in on people, letting them know they're doing a great job and asking how she can support them. So good management there by uh, B15 and then when we uh, we catch up with Mobius and he's got some reports for B15 
because he is monitoring the various He Who Remains variants that are out there, and he references one in the 616 adjacent, uh, adjacent realm that they were able to handle, that being the Kang from Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Also, Mobius receives his own file, as he requested, and we're hearing about a big meeting that's going over to, uh, that's happening over in the war room. Uh, Casey has made his way over there, but before they get to the war room, B-15 and Mobius stop for a chat, and she realizes that he is, in fact, leaving. He's going to go check out that life he had over on the timeline. And then when we do go to the war room, we see it's a bustling place. So it's not just a, a small collection of decision makers. We're seeing this new TVA, this let's grow together. We are seeing that. There are a lot more voices in the room. And now, look, we also saw the war room in a different context when everything was falling apart at the TVA. So maybe it was this crowded before, but I would tend to think it wasn't. But we see it uh, certainly a more positive mindset for the TVA going forward and, and a purpose that doesn't necessarily include all of the pruning that it used to include. And lots of other things are happening. There's a second edition of the TVA handbook that OB has finished as he's opening up a box of those. But um, speaking of handbooks, there is not a handbook. No longer is there a handbook delivered into the window of a young Victor Timely in, I guess, what, 1868. That doesn't happen anymore. The window is open. Nothing comes through it. Victor Timely is left to his own devices. Then we also see, uh, we catch up with Renslayer in the void where she seems to be somewhat aware. I mean, the realization of where she's been sending people for so long, but also seeing the there's that TVA, the older TVA crest that's sitting there in the void. So enough for her to maybe spot and realize that the TVA maybe perhaps still exists and it exists in a different way, better way without her. And that's the last thing she gets to realize before she sets sight on Eliath and is presumably consumed. Although you remember the rule that if they don't die on screen, you know, they're never permanently gone. And even when they do die on screen, they don't have to be permanently gone. But the implication for now is that Renslayer is off the table. And then we go to Cleveland, Ohio. Mobius is there watching his life. He's still there. Don is there with the kids, and, and Mobius is watching from a distance. Sylvie catch, uh, catches up with him. What's she going to do? Well, whatever she wants. And now she really can go off and, and live her life without these worries or concerns. Although, I mean, nobody ever gets to live their life in the MCU without worries or concerns. Well, nobody gets to live any of their lives without worries or concerns. But eventually something could happen that brings Sylvie back into it. But for now, she gets a break. And as for Mobius... He's just going to wait there for a bit and let time pass as he just focuses in on that life. Now, there's no indication there that he's going to go try and replace the Don who's there. Uh, maybe he'll be able to insert himself into the timeline somewhere else. Who knows how all that works? But the implication there, though, is, is Mobius is just going to sit there and, and spend some time watching his life, letting time pass because he spent all of his time in a place where there was no time. So now he's going to be there and observe that. But I don't think Mobius is gone from the TVA. I, I think we, we kind of get the implication, or I interpret that as he's going to hang out there for a while, but he's ultimately going to come back. But that's not necessarily on his mind right now. He doesn't necessarily have to think about his next step right now, um, and we don't necessarily either. It's just the nature of these things. But presumably, we'll see him again somewhere later on down the line. But for now, that's not what it's about. It's not about what's, what's happening next. It's about the choice that Mobius is making for himself 
right now. And it's a great way to have Mobius fulfill his arc from the other side. We talked about in episode five how the Dawn, who loved his life and was attached to his life on Earth, actually did make a choice to go with the TVA and, and try to serve the greater good, even though it didn't ultimately work out as planned at that time. But it doesn't change what his choice was. And now we're seeing the Mobius of the TVA attached to that life, making this choice of at least wanting to see his life, even if he's not the one who's right there experiencing it, just having a chance to go ahead and see it. And so to have that for Mobius to show the TVA renewed is a great way to kind of put a button on the series while also making it clear that these characters are still around, they're still operating, and with the multiverse saga just continuing to escalate, presumably they will pop up elsewhere, not just in Loki, because also, as I said at the top, I mean, this definitely plays like a series finale. It is, I don't know if it will literally be the last episode. Maybe there will be a third season that pushes things in a different direction at some other point, whether that's during or after the multiverse saga. But for this story that they told in these two seasons, they definitely brought it full circle and it reached a, a satisfying conclusion to where it doesn't have to continue beyond this. The MCU does, but the Loki series doesn't necessarily have to continue beyond this moment, they have delivered a, a satisfying conclusion to it. And that goes for Loki, who hears Mobius say this. He hears Mobius say that he's just gonna wait there for a bit and let time pass. He hears his friend making this choice for himself, and Loki just goes ahead and, and allows himself a, a, a smile and just being happy for his friend in that moment. And that's what we're meant to understand there is, yes, the situation can change, right? There are Kang variants that are present. We've seen them in Quantumania. The TVA knows that they're out there, either because of a, a Kang variant or some other circumstances in the multiverse saga. It is possible, perhaps even likely, that Loki is going to be shaken from this position or will have to maybe remove himself from this position or fight to stay in it at some point. But for now, for this moment, in terms of Loki's choice and what it means to him in his mind, is that he's making a choice to do this, and he's making this sacrifice forever. He's there at the end of time. That's not necessarily, uh, this isn't a, a post that he can leave. He's got to be there so that all these branches can continue to live, and every, all the lives on those branches can be lived. So this is a choice that he's making for, in his mind, it's there forever, and it's he's chosen this burden, and that this burden being his purpose, it's glorious in our eyes. It is glorious in our eyes, a glorious purpose in our eyes as the audience, but certainly not the glory that he once thought. And in terms of replacing something with something better, he replaced his old destructive glorious purpose or his old destructive idea of glorious purpose with something better, a burden that he selflessly chooses to serve rather than to rule and he also, in terms of what he wanted, even in this season, what he talked about in the fifth episode, he wanted to be with his friends because where does he belong without his friends? Well, this is it. Right here is where he belongs, where he is most needed by his friends and everyone. And so we talk about sacrifice. I mean, he's alone there. His friends don't get to go hang out with him there. He is alone in that spot, but drawing satisfaction from what everybody else gets to do and, and how he is how he is ultimately serving them and that he was able to find an alternative option. When faced with two bad choices, he was able to find a third option that maybe won't resolve everything all the time, but it gives everyone a chance and that's as much as he can do and that's all he needs to do to give everybody else a chance to see what they can do with the lives that they go on to live. 
And I just have to say this finale, I agree with you, Paul. I do think it's the best season or series finale for a Marvel Studios Disney Plus show. I think this is also just plain one of the MCU's finest hours in anything, uh, this finale, and also just Loki in general as a, as a complete series. And But Loki taking him from where he was, what he thought Glorious Purpose was in, I mean, from Loki even going back to the first Thor movie all the way to this, but then even specifically within the confines of this series, from Battle of New York, Burdened with Glorious Purpose, to where the glorious purpose he ultimately found uh, by taking on that burden in this episode— it's one of the greatest character arcs in all of the MCU. I mean, we've had some amazing ones. We've had some just truly great character arcs with Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Thor uh, as well. And Loki takes his place right alongside, uh, right alongside them with what happened. Thanks in large part. I mean, obviously a lot of great work with Loki over a lot of years and a lot of other projects before this series. But this series also really helped elevate it to get it to where it's just, as I said, right there uh, alongside the best character arcs that we have seen in this uh, incredible franchise. And it also shows us, once again, that uh, there is still greatness to be found in the MCU. There is still greatness to be achieved within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it is a credit to everyone who crafted this story. So Eric Martin, as the head writer, did a phenomenal job. And I can't wait to see what he does, what he does next, whether it's inside or outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's just an incredible storyteller. Same thing for the rest of the writing staff. Um, and then also, I mean, directors of the four of the episodes this season, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, who I know are going to continue on directing episodes. Uh, they did some Moon Knight episodes. They're going to stay on for some Daredevil Born Again episodes. Uh, an outstanding directing team who did, I mean, this series just looked gorgeous the, the entire time, and they did an outstanding job really highlighting these scenes. I mean, they're incredible words on the page, but the way they highlighted them, uh, the way they brought them to life through their direction. And then, of course, the the actors. I mean, what what an amazing cast that we were treated to throughout this entire show, uh, throughout this entire series. Sophia DiMartino, Owen Wilson, um, Wumi Mosaku, uh, Kihue Kwan, so many, Eugene Cordero as as Casey, Tara Strong as Miss Minutes, Gugu Mbatha-Ra as, as Renslayer, and not to go through the whole list of credits, but it, it all comes back to Tom Hiddleston as Loki. And I think that he's been so good for so long in this role that it would be very, very, very easy to take him for granted. And I think we maybe even, not take him for granted, but we also you know very commonly will highlight the work of a lot of the supporting players in the show because A, they deserve it, but also... Because we just all accept, it is just understood that Tom Hiddleston is uh, an incredible actor and so good in this role. But every day that he stepped on set, you know, he was doing something special. And the, the preparation that he did to go step on set, he was preparing to do something special. And what a treat it has been. What a gift it has been, Tom Hiddleston, as this character. And to see him get this conclusion, you know, dot, 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 for now, for Loki... Um, is amazing. I mean, I saw I saw him on the Tonight Show last night, and he was talking about you know the completion of this 14 year journey, which you know almost talking as if this was the end of it. I don't know that I really believe that, but let's go ahead and at the very least take this as a, a milestone. Whether this is really the end, which I don't think it is, but just this milestone, this moment in time for this character and what Tom Hiddleston has achieved as this character. Uh, deserves to be uh, it, it deserves to be highlighted. It deserves to be recognized. 
he has done, uh, his dedication to this character has shown in the quality of work every time out from the first Thor movie until Glorious Purpose, both versions of it, season one, episode one, and all the way through season two, episode six, the season and potentially series finale. Tom Hiddleston as Loki, we were so lucky to see it. I second everything you say. I think this is just a phenomenal series. Everything, uh, I think aesthetically, it was very, very interesting. Um, I'm not sure if they shot on film. It certainly looked like it with the graininess of the series. Um, just the everything, I, I, I mentioned it earlier, and I'll just, just say this, and then we'll, we can wrap up, but I just think that the, the vision was so specific and that everyone knew what they were making in a sense of like what the tone was and where and how they made that tone and stand out. It just worked everything. And I, I don't, again, I, I go back to that graininess of the show, like it, uh, kind of that old retro feel was turned up on this one. And it really helped, I think like almost give it a, uh, I don't want to say basic, but a very, just that, uh, not super like ridiculously looking show where it's like everything's science fiction, super, you know, super science out or whatever, or anything, but it just, it turned up that retro aspect so much that it made things look way simpler. That's what I'm looking for. It's made things so simple. So you can really focus on the characters. And again, I'm not sure if that's an, that was in a, a conscious effort at any rate. I loved it. I think, uh, Eric Martin, not Michael Jordan. Uh, they need to they need to do whatever they can to bring this this this, this person on for more projects because they understood the assignment. They got across what they needed to do for the characters, and I keep going back to that vision. The vision of this sh- of this series is probably the best since WandaVision, if not better. I don't know yet, but Episode Six is a masterpiece and will go down as one of the best I think Marvel things. Um, in the MCU. I very much agree. Wholeheartedly agree. Just really um, incredible, phenomenal work by, by everybody involved. And of course, with Eric Martin as the, the head writer and the, the Michael Jordan of head writers for Marvel studios on Disney plus Uh, just uh, really something special and, and glad we all glad we all got to see it and glad we got to talk about it here on MCU fan show. As we wrap up this episode, uh, we, of course, invite you to stick around for or join us for uh, with a premium podcast subscription at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple podcast subscriptions for Fan Show Plus because there's more there. The first impression episodes, which is just me trying to uh, have a coherent, ram- semi-coherent ro- ramble in my reaction, especially just how moved I was by this finale for uh, for Loki, but also for the Marvels. So an opening round of spoiler thoughts on that film there in advance of our full spoiler review on MCU Fan Show that will be available for all of you to listen to very, very soon. But other MCU topics coming up on Fan Show Plus, obviously we have a lot of re- uh, another round of release date reshuffling that's going to be uh, discussed on Fan Show Plus. The Marvel Spotlight label is certainly going to be a topic of conversation in the uh, in the very near future. So, so much to discuss on Fan Show Plus and MCU Fan Show. So, we hope that you will stick with us. And again, Fan Show Plus at Patreon.com/slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. If you just in the same feed where you see these uh, these MCU Fan Show episodes on Apple Podcasts, just join with a premium podcast subscription, and you can hear those episodes. Follow us on 
Instagram threads and X, formerly Twitter. We are at MCU Fan Show in all of those places. Don't forget to leave an Apple Podcast review if you haven't already. Thank you so much if you have. Thank you in advance if you haven't already but are going to. Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on uh, X, formerly Twitter. I almost said it again. At Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. And also go over to the YouTube channel and select uh, and subscribe the uh, button and go check out the comic binge. We have tons and tons of content. We just did a huge uh, Legion of Superheroes uh, exploration again with uh, Joe Corallo, comic book writer. Uh, and that was a blast. And we had like a big, just uh, obviously uh, off topic conversation for like 20 minutes for, you know, for a while, which is a great thing. And uh, yeah, great. Lots of great stuff on, 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 on there, in my opinion. So if you love comic books, go check out uh, the comic binge uh, YouTube channel and Twitter, if you want as well. And I appreciate everyone who did, who has already have done so. And uh, I will see you on the YouTube channel at some point. If you check that out. And you can follow me on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter, at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.